Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Hey, by the book listeners, Kristen here. Did you know that you can receive a weekly by the book affirmation mini plus the rules of every book that we've lived by? It's easy. All you have to do is become a member of our Patreon community. To learn more, go to patreon.com slash listen to buy the book. Again, that's patreon.com slash listen to buy the book, or just look at the episode description from today's show. The following podcast contains barnyard language and some adult content. So, maybe listen on headphones if you're at work or around small children. Now, here's the show. Hey, Jolenta. Yes, Kristen. We've been spending tons and tons and tons and tons of time in our homes lately. Uh-huh, I'm very aware of that fact, Kristen. But are you aware of all the hidden cool features in your home? I'm sorry, What? Is my home hiding things from me? Oh, yes, it is, Jolenta. And get this, there's more. Our city, our fair city that we live in, is also hiding stuff from us. Um, are you serious? This this is a lot to take in. You're kind of blowing my mind here. Oh, you think I'm blowing your mind? Wait until you hear from our guest on today's show. He is a professional mind blower when it comes to this stuff. A profesh. Uh, let's do this. I want to talk to him. Bring it on. Oh, we are about to, because I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jalanta Greenberg. And I'm Roman Mars. And this is By the Book.
that's right. It's time for another Buy the Book bonus episode. Every other week between now and season eight, we'll be releasing a new bonus episode. And throughout our bonus episodes, we'll be continuing our season seven hearth and home theme, albeit in different and offbeat ways. Today, we are looking at all the little design decisions that go into making our homes and into our communities. These are things that, you know, we may not see at first glance, but they're often super instrumental in making our lives better and more aesthetically pleasing, which we always love. (laughs) Helping us to dive into this topic is the king of looking at hidden design, Roman Mars, host and creator of the podcast 99% Invisible. He's also co-author of the new book, The 99% Invisible City, a field guide to the hidden world of everyday design. Roman, thank you so much for joining us today. (laughs) Yeah, the funny thing about being an expert about these things and being a journalist is that you're really like a person who interviews experts more than you're an expert yourself, but I can make up stuff (laughs) with the best of them, so I'm good. (laughs) Thank God. So. As you know, most of us are spending a ton more time in our homes than ever. And I know I'm not always very appreciative of what's in my home or what makes it function or like what design elements I take advantage of every day. So what design elements are you just especially appreciative of in your own home right now? Mine is my front porch, honestly. Like I have a, I have a little bit Jealous. of a, a stoop that I sit out on um, between things. I have a lot of stuff I do during the daytime and it can get kind of cold in my house. And uh, I just, I sit out on the stoop and yesterday I was, I was sitting on the stoop and I got a delivery and, and like someone like handed it to me and I had wow. this moment of interaction with a human and it was, <laughs> it was really lovely. And so I think that's my, that's my favorite part of my house as of right now is like, it's just having a stoop to sit out on because you know, I, I recently interviewed uh, this this author named Emily Anthes. She wrote a book called The Great Indoors, and uh, it's a brilliant book. I, I love it. We're going to have her on the show, um, I think, next week. Um, and, you know, one of the things that she talks about is that, you know, I'm, it might seem like we're spending a lot more time indoors, but we're really spending a lot more time in one place indoors. We're mostly an indoor species. We're mostly in about 90% of the time. We're just in this one place knocking about more than multiple places. And one of the things that you can do to make your life, um, you know, and your your sort of system and your biome so much healthier is just to make the indoors more like the outdoors. Like recognize that we're animals and we need air and we need plants and we need, um, you know, like a, a healthy uh, set of bacteria. And um, it's important to like have sort of the outdoors encroach in your indoors to make it so that it's healthy. We love that because over this past season, one of the books we lived by was all about doing that through plants. And we found our lives improved so much just yeah. by having plants in the house. Seriously. For sure. Yeah. It was amazing what a difference that made. Like there's a reason that's become a huge fad during during this quarantine. And another thing that might be surprising is is having a dog, like in in addition to the companionship and that sort of thing. What they do is they bring in all this really healthy bacteria into your home. And um, it makes it a more healthy bacteria ecosystem in your home when you have a dog in it. So that's something. Dolenta, you're doing things right with Frank. 
I had no idea. <laughs> Sometimes I get annoyed because I like I'll watch, you know, my husband let him like frolic in a garbage bag and then like two hours later I'll see him frolicking <laughs> on our bed. But now I'll be like, Oh shit, it's for my biome. He, he's saving <laughs> your life right there. Yeah. He's doing he's doing us all a favor, apparently. So I'm glad I'm glad I know that. <laughs> But the fact is, Roman, that we as a society have not always seen bacteria as a good thing. We we didn't have the term healthy biome even like 15 yeah, years ago. For sure. And I'm curious, in all of your research into home design, how have our fears and paranoia about germs, about bacteria, about danger in the world, how have we seen those fears play out in how our homes are designed? Designed is, is interesting. Like we we've seen it in terms of in different ways. One is um, you know, the the bathroom, the lavatory in your home, um, it wasn't once this wipeable porcelain thing. It was like another place. It had carpet, it had fancy uh you know, drapery, <laughs> it had but like you wouldn't have thought I it was. I love a bathroom with wall to wall carpet still. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the notion that you had to have, you know, cleanable surfaces and, and, and things like that sort of came with a little bit more knowledge of, of, of you know, antiseptic procedures and, and things like that. Um, and so we've, we've divided these places a little bit more based off of cleaning and a little bit have to do with bacteria. And, and, and it just has to do with the different mores when it comes to these, you know, these sort of like bodily functions. Um, you know, the other thing is, is in general, like I, I've seen more you know, carpet isn't as big a deal. And I think that has to do a little bit with an aesthetic with um, hardwood floors and all sorts. I think people appreciate those things. I mean, I think people like the comfort of carpet, but I think one of the things that's driving hardwood floors is this obsession with, with bacteria and, and cleaning and, um, and uh, using antibacterial cleaners, which are not necessarily good for both you and bacteria in general. Um, but I, I think I have to admit that that's probably one of the reasons why I like the hardwood floors in my home is because I can mop them, you know, like in, in carpet kind of seem it feels dirty. Like I'm just used to that idea um, as much as I think that mm-hmm. uh, I should I should get over it. I, don't, I just and now I'm thinking about like the end of the opulent bathroom and I hadn't thought mm-hmm. of that before. Yeah, the, the bathroom in, in general, like it, it went through different phases where, um, uh, you know, it, it was a. It's it's one of the places that's that's often a divided space in public, which is you know like in terms of um, you know gender assignments and things like that. And the um, the it, whereas like a lot of places where it used to be like um, where um, cis uh, you know male and cis female gender was was divided in public space uh, for a long time in different in all kinds of different ways. You know like lobbies of post offices and stuff like that had like a a, a, a woman's side and a man's side, um, and one of the things that was retained was this idea of the a public bathroom was was retained that way, and mm. um, and often the idea of the of the women's you know restroom was an opulent place. It was like a parlor. It was like, like a, a lounge, yeah, exactly. And so um, a lot of that was carried over in in both private spaces and public spaces when it came to bathrooms, and that was the notion of it: is that you had a a, a private space and it should be a certain way, and, and that way was. Uh, was a little bit more frilly and a little bit more, um, you know, like opulent, yeah. Um, So what are some of the design elements in our homes that maybe I just think are for looks or ornamental but actually serve a purpose? Hmm. 
Like an example I learned uh, was when I lived in San Francisco and I had an old Victorian was um, the the sort of like picture hanging molding that I thought was just a weird strip of molding. And turns out it's for hanging photos. <laughs> it's for hanging pictures. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. That, that's a good one. I'm trying to go other sort of decorative flourishes and I'm just trying to, like, looking around my house at this point and trying to figure out. Um, oh, I was going to point out one from Brooklyn that I love that I learned from your book which are the stars on the sides of buildings all over Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, that one's um, – those are not real those common homes, but those mm. are – you know, they're, if you look around and you, you walk around, especially places with a lot of brick on them, um, they're often – The Balloon these, Saloon is what I always think of. Yeah. Uh, if you know that building, it has tons of those stars and lots of balloons out front, so it's a very noticeable building. That's easy to look up for reference. Mm-hmm. Well, the star, so the stars are, are, are these metal plates – that are attached to, you know, they're kind of like a washer and and bolt system, if you can just imagine that, that are meant to sort of like um, spread the load out to keep these these um, bricks in place because bricks, you know, have a kind of life and, and especially in seismic areas like, like the Bay Area, um, you have these uh, bolt and, and uh, star structures to just keep you know, like the bricks upright because they, you know, they, their attachment to the structure of a building um, is is kind of tenuous sometimes, you know, like it's just kind of a facade. And, Oof, yeah. and so um, those were there for that. And so they look decorative and often when they're stars and they're nice things that you can, you can tell that, but, but um, they are definitely functional. Like those are, um, those are definitely functional because if not, you would have a pile of bricks in those cases. Yeah. <laughs> and there's lots of different. Very glad they function. There's yeah. lots of different things like around the world that are, um, you know, you could think of as, as um, ornamental, but are really um, related to other things and not just, not just structural or purposeful. So like if you, if you can picture like the the classic, you know, Parisian skyline um, with what's called a, um, a mansard roof, which is like where the cornice of the building, it goes back and it has like a, a dormer, like that little window that pops out of the top, you know, it's really beautiful. And if you can picture like, you know, this all of like four story uh, Paris that has these beautiful mansard roofs and, and that sort of carried over in some of the architecture here and, and around the world, you know, that was, even though that seems very French and it seems very beautiful and it seems very, you know, particular, um, that was really because there were this tax regulation that uh, a, um, a, a building uh, couldn't be over four stories and people really wanted that extra story. So, and so they, they realized that they counted to the cornice that right there and um, accounted to the cornice. And, and, and so they did that step back and that upper floor, it doesn't count in terms of the regulation. <laughs> and so there's all kinds of things around the world that are built around the idea of like, not about the things you might think they are. They're not about beauty. They're not about like mm. a, uh, architectural ideal. They're just about regulation and function and all these sorts of things. And, and that's what makes up um, architecture in general. Yeah. That's so, yeah. That's so interesting. I know, and I'm sure I'm going to quote this wrong. My mom, I'm probably misquoting my mother who misquoted the original source she read. Uh, but I used to live in an old uh, tenement building and we had, um, a molding frame that had been filled in with plaster that we painted with like blackboard paint. But Mm -hmm. my mom said was originally for regulations for boarding where you had to add a certain number of, I believe like windows per person and an indoor window counted. So you could keep more people in the building. That's so funny. The the other, the other caveat to that was like during, they were trying to figure out ways for the the crown in in England in the 18th century where they were, um, 
they counted windows as a way to tax people because they didn't have an income tax. And so a good way to sort of the idea to not a good way, it was a way to approximate wealth was to count how many windows you had on your home and you got taxed because of that. And to this day, you will walk around London and see bricked up windows that windows that used to be there that were bricked up a hundred years ago to avoid the tax. Like, no, 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 only two people live here. <laughs> exactly. And then there was a That's there was wild. also a brick tax and how many bricks counted. And so they so they started making bigger bricks uh, out of homes. And so you can actually, Oh my gosh. Yeah. You can actually like, you can actually sort of date, uh, uh, an older home based off the size of the brick, because you can, um, if it has really oh bits like, during that window of time when, where you when, would get taxed, you get taxed brick? for per brick. And then, and then they caught up with that and they decided and they, if you got a bricks over a certain size, you got taxed more. And so they went back to normal. And so there's this window of time where really big bricks made up homes in England. <laughs> That's so interesting. So fascinating. Yeah, I just love to see how those regulations play out right here where Jolent and I are in Brooklyn. You're on the West Coast. But um, in Brooklyn, one reason why we have so few closets in all of our pre-war buildings is because if you could fit a chair in it, you got taxed at one point because it was a room. Anything Mm -hmm. that can hold a chair is a room in New York. And, And so... Just don't make any closets because you'll be taxed because that'll be called a room. <laughs> and I don't know, Jolent, did you have any closets in your apartment? Most of um, us have no closets. We, we do because uh, they were built in by a previous owner. But <laughs> they are not. They are very much blare, like blaringly not original. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, Roman, switching gears, I want to talk about technology. Technology is such a huge part of our homes and our lives right now. You are talking to us thanks to technology. We all do our work thanks to technology. And I'm curious about how you see technology and home design working together in good and bad ways right now. Well, I mean, you know, having, you know, we were trying to get on this call and uh, my <laughs> internet went out and it took me 15 <laughs> minutes to get it all together. And I think you know, as much as I, as we've moved towards this of a, a wired home and a, you know, technologically like sort of integrated, um, uh, especially sort of in terms of information type of home, um, is critical. Um, I don't think, I, I don't think we've even seen the beginning of, of the amount of pipes that are going to have to be laid towards every, uh, community and home in this country in particular, as people might spread out a little bit more, um, the infrastructure, the information infrastructure in particular is going to be taxed um, beyond its capacity. And um, it'll be interesting to watch what happens because of that. Like, will municipal Wi-Fi take over? Um, I'm really interested in sort of infrastructural things in, in, in addition to sort of design details in a home. Or will, you know, like everything about a home be wired? You know, like I, I think if you were to build a home, um, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been, you know, cutting edge to have you know, a USB outlet almost as much as you would have a, an AC outlet. Um, and now it would feel like a complete anachronism today. Right. And it was so cutting edge. <laughs> and, and there are all these things that have mm-hmm. historically... I was thinking like iPod docks were big. Totally. iPod docks is an example. I mean, that is, that, that's just landfill fodder. And it, and it used to be like, I, I have these, you know, the, the thing that was one of the first things I ever splurged on in, in a home was a um, a clock radio with like a thing to set the iPod on so yes. it played it. You know? <laughs> the <laughs> I, ho- I had the iHome. It exactly, was like the, the knockoff I-home. brand. Yeah, which is exactly which is basically you know now it's just 
freaking landfill. You know, like it doesn't, you know, it has no point. And there's all those types of things that like if you had, um, you know, a new home at that time, uh, you would have bought a home that had, you know, like its USB slot, uh, in, in places. And, 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 and now like no one would do that. And so, so, and, and it reminds me of back, you know, um, at a time in the fifties where, you know, like there was often a, um, a toothbrush holder that was like part of the bathroom and it was like a piece yes, of ceramic. The tile. Yeah. Yeah. And it came <laughs> out and it's had these narrow little slots for toothbrushes. And now I don't think you could go to the CVS and buy a toothbrush that would fit any of those slots. Like the technology <laughs> of toothbrushes has changed so that it doesn't fit our home anymore, <laughs> you, know? Mm. <laughs> you know? And so what you're going to see is, um, you know, these moments where the, you know, you know, and it's it's funny to think of like a toothbrush holder as technology, but it, it is, you know, like it's it's part of your home, like keeping up with the times and 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 it's gonna be funny to see these um these things that we thought of as essential technologies in our home that will be modified as as things change. And it's 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 you know, I think that but I think the one that you'll see the the two that I think we'll see in the in the coming, you know, years um, because of the pandemic, I think mostly like these are what's on my mind is this information tech driven home where there's like wires everywhere. You know, like I, I was on a, one of these calls and, uh, you know, it was not going well in terms of the Wi-Fi. And, and somebody said to me, can you plug in without interrupting the signal? And I was like, plug in like with an Ethernet cable, you know, like like it made no, you know, like that's not a thing that really happens anymore. <laughs> and and, um, and so right. a, a completely ubiquitous wired home is one of them. And I think another one that I, I think we'll see is flexible spaces and, and bigger spaces. So like, mm. um, because if you're, you know, if we all go work towards working at home more of the time, um, you know, I need more walls almost, you know, like I need more ability to find uh, to create an office space to have my kids have an office yeah. space because they go to school at home and and so it depends on how much um pandemics are part of our life but i think we'll see a lot of like more flexibility and uh and for a while i thought we might have smaller homes but i'm now worried that we're gonna people are gonna feel like they need to have an office in their home everywhere mm. so, and that's and that's a problem so. yeah that's interesting um i want to switch gears completely because that's what I'm about. Um, <laughs> something I love talking about uh, are superstitions. And could you talk a bit about how superstitions have played into how we design our spaces, our homes, most likely? Yeah. Well, there's some there's some strange ones. A lot of them have to do with. Uh, so if you're in the in New England, um, uh, they, they have these things called witch windows. Um, <laughs> Which are go which, on, <laughs> which are like, um, and, and they're really they're really not witch windows. <laughs> they're they're it, it's sort of, no. they're kind of like um, they're kind of sideways. So like if you have like if you could picture like two angles of an angled roof um, with a peaked roof, um, it'll be like a kind of cattywampus uh, uh, angled uh, full size window, just like on at a forty, you know, maybe at a forty five degree angle. Mm -hmm. And people say that they're there because witches can't fly at a 45 degree angle. And so, <laughs> and so, uh, they can only go straight through your window upright. And so, um, so those are called witch windows. There's, uh, different, uh, instances of, um, of people, uh, uh, like ghosts can come in through keyholes. And so, um, and so they'll up, make the keyhole upside down, which also, again, uh, apparently confuses ghosts. 
And then um, there's a practice in the South of of painting um, uh, the like the roof of a covered porch blue, and um, and the sort of quasi scientific explanation for this is that um, mosquitoes are attracted to the blue and they get they leave you know they don't bother you, but the the um, the sort of accompanying uh, supernatural explanation is also uh, ghosts are also attracted to the blue. And so they don't, they don't bother you when you're sitting on the porch. They, they hang out nor, near the ceiling of your porch. So. Well, Jolenta, you do not want a blue ceiling on your porch then. You want the, you want the ghost <laughs> to hang with you. No, I'll be like, guys, come on down. Let's talk. Let's wrap. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sorry. We're going to take a really quick break. But when we're back, we're going to talk with Roman about some of the design decisions that go into our wider communities. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. We are back with Roman Mars, host and creator of the podcast 99% Invisible and co-author of the fantastic new book, The 99% Invisible City. Uh, Roman, most of us aren't traveling much beyond our own cities right now. We're being forced to stay in place. And I got to say, this book is such a great field guide to looking at our cities, uh, the mysteries of them, the beauties of them in a whole new way. For example, I've been looking closely at the flags waving outside of buildings. Mm -hmm. I went in search of the facade house in Brooklyn. That's not a house at all. It's just a cover to cover up <laughs> subway ventilation. That's a good one. All of this thanks to your book. Have you found, Roman, that the pandemic has changed how you look at your city on the bay out there? Yeah. I mean, I mean, clearly the book wasn't written uh, for a time of a pandemic. We just wrote it because we thought it was fun to have this type of guide for the city. But it's kind of a weird um, – uh, you know, it's like kind of appropriate for our time that when you can't travel and you can't go far to have uh, a way to find wonder right outside your door, uh, it seems like a different type of service than we knew we were providing. And so, 
you know, I don't know, I, I, judging from my neighborhood, I, I live in Berkeley, California, judging from my neighborhood, people are engaging as a pedestrian more and more, like, you know, like in Brooklyn, people probably always walk and in here, they walk a lot too. And they run here too. And, but there's more people. Like when I sit out on that stoop, I see people crossing my path like all the time in a way that I don't think I did nearly as much before this. And so what I've noticed that people have been sort of like engaging with the world as a pedestrian, um, quite a bit more. And I think that makes it easier to notice the design details like the um, utility markings, the spray paint utility markings on the ground and the sidewalk stamps and um, notice how, uh, you know, you know, good or bad, the different parts of your infrastructure, uh, you know, like the, 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 um, you know, like the walk, the walk signals and how fast or slow they are and things like that. I think people are engaging with those like a little bit more. And I hope like the, the um, book opens our eyes to even more things like Knox boxes that they probably have never seen before. Knox boxes are, you know, you know, adjacent to uh, almost every entrance, you know, like in a city, you know, there's these little tiny safes that are black safes and uh, they have the keys inside that the, you know, fire and emergency people have a key to it. And and then inside that little safe is usually a key to the, um, to the building so they can get in in an emergency and they're everywhere. Like you, you, if you begin to notice them, you will, um, you will see them every five feet if you're in like any sort of densely populated place at all. And, um, and I just think those things are delightful. There's a little safe every, every five feet, you know, like, (laughs) you know, and so I, I think that there's this, um, I, I have felt people engaging with the environment, engaging with the park, more like really appreciating the natural spaces mm-hmm. um and, and uh and yeah I, I i i like to i like to see it because i think that on foot is the best way to experience this the world honestly so. can i ask what you think cities just in your opinion are maybe doing right and wrong as far as reworking things for the pandemic yeah so you know i i was pretty um surprised how quickly you know like uh commercial spaces uh adapted to the pandemic like tape on the floor plexiglass Mm -hmm. everywhere i didn't know i don't know where you get plexiglass i don't know how many ways i've seen it affixed to uh countertops and ceilings in ways that i was really ingenious and uh and uh uh, surprisingly homemade and kludgy you know but effective you know i was i was always intrigued by that like i was at the store this morning getting my i get a soda almost every morning and uh and you know it has this like they they put this uh this, they put this kind of two by four and these little things hanging down little eye hooks coming down and then it has a hanging thing and then it's attached and it's just like it's just like uh, kind of uh genius you know um and so plexiglass was everywhere a tape on the floor i, I don't love the plexiglass i you know like as much as i like the ingenuity of the solution i find it you know kind of um you know distancing and i hope that that goes away you know when we're more safe enough but I do kind of love the um, the um, the stuff on the floor. I think that information layer of where to stand is actually kind of helps me out. I, I and I kind of like it. Um, and if it's better designed and and um, I think good wayfinding and good like instruction of where to be. I think everyone is like crowded around a deli counter or a bar or something and been like, there's like anxiety of like, am I next? Am I in front of this person? Am I not? You know, like I, I kind of think that we haven't used wayfinding in those public spaces as much as um, 
I would like and 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 sort of instruction of, of where to be and and that that helps me out um and then in cities in general I, are experimenting with this idea like right now there's a pressure to have outdoor space more outdoor space to 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 be together and to be in restaurants and so mm. we're taking over parking spaces we're taking over roads right. you know and um and that experimentation is really fascinating because you know we have not you know we ceded control of roads to um to cars so long ago that we don't even remember that cars weren't the things that roads were invented for. I mean, roads are, 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 you know, way, you know, pathways for, uh, for humans walking, for horses, for trolley cars. Uh, and there was a certain point where we just decided that, uh, they were best suited for cars and cars only. And, and, and a person had to, you know, wait, at a corner before they could cross the road or be on the road. And, you know, this was a real change. This was a choice. Mm-hmm. This wasn't just natural. We made choices based off of our values during those time periods and how we felt that cities worked best. And now we're reassessing how cities work best. And I think that that premium of space that we've ceded to cars, especially the, pre- this, the space that we've ceded to cars that do nothing, that are sitting there, like parking spaces right. that are empty most of the time. I was going to say, you- I recently got a flu shot at a clinic that was set up uh, at a local university's parking lot because no one's there anymore. And they struck a deal with like my medical practice that I go to. Yeah. I mean, to think... When you see that you could do something like give people flu shots in this place that cars sit empty and idle 90% of the time and just fill it up and do nothing, it really does change what the value of space is in a city in particular when when uh, we really do subsidize the, this, the, the parking of cars more than almost anything else. Like we give wow. really valuable real estate to cars that do nothing. And so... You know, that value proposition really changes when space is at a outside space in particular is at a premium. And what I like mm-hmm. about studying the studying the built world is this is like I think that the built world is a is a good lens to our values at a certain time. And right now, I think the value of space for humans uh, over space for cars uh, is something that we're gonna see flipped a little bit. And that's interesting to see. But I want to talk about a different kind of space. We've been talking about outdoor space. I want to talk about indoor spaces that are currently sitting empty. There is a big concern, especially in big cities like New York City. There are empty office buildings, empty movie theaters, empty Mm. malls. Mm -hmm. And there's the wonder of how long will these sit empty? Will they sit empty forever? And if you were in charge, Roman, what would you do with all these empty indoor spaces? Well... You know, it's hard to say because one of the things that's a problem is you can't really know if this is how things are going to be forever or how much longer they're going to right. be like this. And so because buildings are buildings are slow, you know, it takes a long time to like build a building, to change a building. And uh, and most of the time, you know, like there's, there's this old adage like when, when, a, when a company is building their perfect headquarters, it means that they're uh, about to go bankrupt you know, like, <laughs> because they have all this money and all this ability and so they build this fancy building and you know it takes three to five years and by that point things have turned because everything kind of reverts to a mean and uh, they can't afford this fancy building anymore and then it, it you know changes hands and that sort of thing and so in a way i wouldn't know exactly what to do but here's what i would do in places where um housing is a problem for example like in the bay area 
more of this space should be turned into housing. It just has to be, you know, like that's the thing we need. Um, and it, and especially those places around um, public transit nodes. And that's another thing that's suffering right now. And we don't know like how it's going to recover. Um, so until we find out the, the trajectory of these things, it's hard to make good decisions based off them. Um, one of the things that um, is is interesting to sort of figure out, and this is something that my co-author Kurt Kohlstedt is, is particularly like a student of, is um, there's certain things that are very, very hard to convert. Um, really big spaces like um, uh, corporate headquarters, you know, mm. Walmart stores, you know, like if they Ugh. go, you know, if they go empty, you know, like what do you do with them? But there are creative solutions that people have found of subdividing them and and making them work for community space. But one of the things that they do is they tend to be about community spaces, and that no one's doing that either. <laughs> so, so it's like, mm. so it's it's hard to imagine a world that's divided and isolated. And so, like, and then leaning in too much into that, um, I could see being a danger because, you know, we need cities and people to have connections. So, what we really need to do is like solve the pandemic and have more housing. Mm. That's, that's what we need to do. But I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't know exactly what I would do. But I would definitely. My choice would be the first choice would be to turn more um, working spaces into living spaces. I, I think that we're. In, especially places with with population pressure yeah. and cost pressure to live there. I think that would be a good opportunity to do that. I will totally live in your office building with the giant corner windows. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, yeah. Um, okay, we are going to take another super quick break. But when we come back, we have one last burning question for Roman. So stay with us. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Okay, we are back with Roman Mars, host and creator of the podcast 99% Invisible and co-author of the new book, The 99% Invisible City. And we have one last very important question for you. What is your biggest design pet peeve? <laughs> My biggest design pet peeve. It could be like your current biggest <laughs> or just like one of your favorite biggest. You know, you know, there's there's a, there's a few of them. Um, but I'm trying to think. Of, biggest is not is not the right word for it. But one of the things I've noticed through the pandemic, for example, is uh, is I think that um, I think that your refrigerator should be more of a freezer than a refrigerator. Like you know <gasps> that that little portion that's only like a third or a quarter of the space of a refrigerator. It should be half and half. I, I'm a more of a frozen 
first. And, and I just think, or it should be adjustable or something. Mm. But that sort of standard configuration is something that I think uh, the, the hegemony of refrigerated spaces over frozen spaces, uh, that needs to end. In my opinion. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I've never heard to like refrigeration. I've never just heard hegemony and refrigeration together. <laughs> so thank you. That's, that's that would make current. a huge difference in my life too. As a proper Minnesotan, crazy, yeah. I make giant quantities of food and need to freeze them, right? Totally. How are you going to freeze those you, hot dishes? You always yes, run you. into you always run into space pressure in the freezer, not in the fridge. Totally. And, and, Never and, in the fridge. And if that's the case, then then refrigerators should be designed differently. Right. That's that's what I think. Yeah. So, Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> the only time I've ever run into space issue in a fridge is like having a gathering and like too many yeah. people bring beer that goes away in one night. Right, like, right. Totally. That's <laughs> totally. wild. But that that's my oh. current. It's uh, it's not a huge one. Thank you. It's, it's one I've noticed. <laughs> But it's important, and it affects all of us. <laughs> thank, no, seriously, thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much, Roman Mars. On that note, uh, we're all going to empty out our freezers right now. And uh, I love we're, the we're, adjustable suggestion. That's like yeah, I'm obsessed with that. Yeah, that yeah we're going to really rewire good. all of our freezers right now when we get off the phone, so that our <laughs> freezer is the fridge I'm go and our fridge is the freezer. It, swap the wiring we somehow. Totally make, yeah, make I'm going to somehow do that. Yeah. Shake up that hegemony. You know? yeah. <laughs> Reminder, Roman's book is called The 99% Invisible City, A Field Guide to the Hidden World of Everyday Design. His podcast is called 99% Invisible. They are both fantastic. They'll make your life better. Check them out. And that's it for this bonus episode of By the Book. Huge thank you to the people who make this show happen. They're our production team at Stitcher, and we love them. They are Daisy Rosario, Brandon Nix, Corinne Wallace, and Andy Christens. Thanks also to Nate Wyda, who composed our theme song, and the Rizzos, who perform it. Stay in touch with us, too. Send us questions, suggestions, thoughts about books we should live by. Send them all to us at kristenangelenta at gmail.com. Don't forget to hit us up on Twitter at ByTheBookPod, also at ByTheBookPod on Instagram. Come at us in our DMs or leave us a voicemail. We love hearing your voice. Call us at 302-49-BOOKS. That's 302-492-6657. And if you have not yet done so already, please rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Give us five stars. You're a star. We're stars. We're all stars. We're in this together. Give us those stars. It makes us feel so happy. We love seeing them. Also, if you haven't already, tell a friend about the show. Until next time, I'm Jolenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Stitcher. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.